Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. And the next section is starting at verse 29, the sign of Jonah. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Thanks, Robin. Morning, everyone. My name's Mark. If we haven't met, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, keep your Bibles open to that passage. Uh, you should have a leaflet as well, which will have an outline of the sermon as well, so that will just help you to follow on a little bit with me. haven't gone for as much alliteration in the outline as people have in previous weeks, but hopefully it will make sense still. And don't worry, I won't be getting you to get up and go around the room and have conversations with anyone for the next 25 minutes. In fact, I'll push that further. Please don't get up and have conversations with people. I've got a friend who I catch up with quite regularly. He's um, not a Christian guy, um, but he's happy to, to talk about different worldviews, to, to talk about what he believes. And recently, I had a bit of a chat to him about what I believe about my faith. His response to that was, I just don't think there's any way we could be sure if Christianity is true or not. Maybe there are people you know who have that sort of view. Maybe that's where you're at. You're just not quite sure if Christianity could ever be proven true. We live in a world that, for the most part, doesn't recognize Jesus. So what gives us confidence in him? Or perhaps even before that, the question that we need to ask is, why should we care about Jesus in the first place? And those are questions that this passage that we're looking at will shed some light on. If you're joining us for the first time today, we're going through Luke's Gospel, chapter 9 through to chapter 11. And it's they're chapters that really look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. We've seen over the last few weeks how being a disciple is something that requires total commitment. It's a call to mission to show deep love for others, to devote ourselves to Jesus' teaching. 
And it also means being able to have a close relationship with God, to be able to call God Father, uh, to be able to ask him for the things that we need. You notice that we had verses 14 to 16 as well in the reading that Robin just read to us. The reason we've got that is because when Jesus drives out a demon in verse 14, we see a couple of different responses, don't we? Uh, Some people accuse him of driving out the demon by the devil's power in verse 15. And then verse 16, there are other people who test Jesus by asking him for a sign. If casting out a demon isn't an impressive enough sign. Well, from verses 17 to 28, Jesus addresses the first response, and that was the one that Colin took us through last week. And then from verse 29 onwards, Jesus turns his attention now to the people who asked him for a sign. And he says to them, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And then he explains in verse 30 that he himself is the sign of Jonah. Son of man is an expression that Jesus uses from time to time to refer to himself. So they're asking Jesus for a sign from heaven, not recognizing that Jesus himself is the sign, as Stephen and Lauren demonstrated very well in their talk just before. A few years ago, um, a group of friends and I did a road trip down to York Peninsula. So we drove up the Flurio and down York Peninsula to get to where we were going. There was one guy who was driving down late at night. And of course, if you've ever done that trip, you have to turn left off Port Wakefield Road. There's a sign pointing down to York Peninsula. And so you follow that. Uh, This guy missed that sign and he kept driving up north and got about three hours into what would have been a 30-hour drive to Darwin before he realised that something was wrong and ended up having to turn around and turn what would have been a three-hour drive into about a a 10-hour drive. That's what Jesus' hearers are in danger of doing here, missing a really, really important sign. So then in verses 31 and 32, Jesus uses the examples of Solomon and Jonah from the Old Testament uh, to show them that He is a sign that we need to respond to. Point two on your outline there. Now Solomon, of course, was king over Israel and God had gifted him with incredible wisdom. He was kind of like the Google of the ancient world. People came from all over the world to hear Solomon's wisdom, including this queen from the south that we see in this passage here. Uh, She travelled a long distance to hear from Solomon And she praises God when she hears Solomon's great wisdom. She asks him a lot of questions and he has answers for all of them. Jonah was sent by God to warn the people of Nineveh that God was going to destroy them as punishment for their evil behavior. And the people believed Jonah's message and God spared them from the judgment that he was going to bring them. So Jesus is saying here that what he's bringing is greater than Solomon's wisdom and greater than Jonah's message of judgment. Now that's a big call to make because Solomon's wisdom was pretty wise and wiping out a whole city is pretty severe judgment by anyone's standards. Well, Jesus came to declare God's judgment on all people because of our sin. 
because of the, the ways that we ignore God and we choose to live our own way instead of his. It's a judgment that all people stand guilty under. But not just that, he also came to declare God's message of salvation. Jesus came to bring about God's kingdom here on earth by calling people to follow him, by showing them that he spoke and acted with God's authority, which is why he does all the miracles, and by dying to take the punishment that should have been ours. And not just dying, but being raised back to life so that everyone who puts their trust in him can be certain that their sins are forgiven and that they're brought into a right relationship with God. So Jesus warns of a judgment far more terrible than the one that Jonah warned of. But at the same time, he brings a wisdom much greater than Solomon's wisdom. It's God's wisdom in providing a way for us to be saved from that judgment. And the point that he's driving towards here, Jesus, is that if this pagan queen was willing to travel a great distance to hear Solomon speak God's wisdom, if this wicked city was brought to its knees in repentance at Jonah's preaching, how much more should someone who has heard Jesus' teaching, heard his warnings, seen his miracles, recognize the significance of who Jesus is? Now, I take it that Jesus uses these examples of wisdom and judgment here because they're things on the minds of the people who are listening to him. It was a religious culture. He's speaking to Jews mostly when he's saying this. And so people would have been mindful of wanting to avoid God's judgment. And it was also a day and age where wisdom was highly sought after as well. And so Jesus is telling them, you haven't recognized me. And so you're looking in all the wrong places for the things that are most important to you. Jesus is at the very center of a right understanding of wisdom and judgment. So what about for us today? What are the the foundations that we build our lives on today? What might Jesus have appealed to if he was here in the flesh today speaking to us? I'm sure we could come up with quite a long list for that, but the three things that stand out to me are purpose, affluence, and identity. Purpose, affluence, and identity. I've got those written on the outline there. We all want a reason to live, don't we? A a direction that we're heading in in life, some significance to our lives. We want purpose. And we want to live the good life as well. We want nice things. We want comfort. We want affluence. And we want to be secure in who we are as well and to know that other people value and respect who we are. Identity. So how does recognizing who Jesus is help with those needs? Are we looking in the the wrong places for those things if we leave Jesus out of the equation? Let's start with purpose. We saw back in the start of chapter 10, for for those who have been here for the Luke series, that the call to discipleship is a call to mission. When we accept Jesus as our king, we're joining in on the mission that he's doing to make disciples and to grow disciples for his kingdom. 
And that's why we do church. It's not because we, we all like the same songs and because the chairs are comfortable or any other reason. It's because we want to encourage each other and to, to build each other up in the faith. And it's because we want to see people coming to know Jesus for the first time. So our purpose is something that goes far beyond ourselves. And it's a purpose that has everlasting value. How about affluence? The hope that we have in Jesus is something far greater than anything that this world has to offer us. Now, there, there are lots of great experiences and luxuries that are available to us in this world. But if we're being honest, they don't make us happy. Sure, they, they give us joy, they, they give us pleasure, but they're also balanced out by the hardships of life. The hope that we have in Jesus is a life where a life to come where there's no pain, there's no sadness, there's only good. And even in the here and now, there's a great richness, isn't there, to following Jesus. There's the, the joy of a relationship with God, the fellowship that we, that we have with each other as believers, and of course the assurance that we have for the future. And these are things that money can't buy. What about identity? We saw a couple of weeks ago at the start of chapter 11 that Colin took us through that Jesus gives us an identity that is far above and beyond anything else that we could be. Children of God. We can't think of ourselves too highly if we knew that it took Jesus dying for us for us to be saved. But at the same time, we can't think too lowly of ourselves if we realize that Jesus loved us enough to pay that price. There's nothing else that we could build our identity up on that even compares with that. Our appearance, our race, our gender, our talents, our family, our achievements, they all pale into insignificance in comparison. Now, this, this identity as children of God, it does clash with the values of the world, doesn't it? Uh, this idea of being a sinner and needing someone else to save me, it really flies in the face of my desire to have an identity that I control, an identity that flatters me, that puts me in a good light. But it's the only identity that we can have that is secure. And it's secure because it's not tied up in what we do. It's not tied up in what other people think of us. It's tied up in what God has done. And it's an identity that grows stronger and stronger the, the longer we know Jesus. Now, there's a lot more that could be said about all three of those things. We've really just scratched the surface on those. But I hope you can see that Jesus offers real answers the things that are on our hearts. He's a sign pointing us to a right understanding of who we are. So Jesus is a sign who we need to respond to by letting him shape the foundations of our life. And he's a light as well who we need to recognize and keep our eyes fixed on. Point three on your outline. You might have seen that Specsavers ad that's been on the, the TV recently where the, the guy goes to make his coffee in the morning and pours the dog food into the, the grinder and makes himself a coffee 
with his dog food and the narrator says, oh, you should have gone to Specsavers at the end of it. Can't really struggle to drink coffee after seeing that. Well, Jesus now asks the crowd, how's your spiritual eyesight? See, back in the day when this was written, the, um, the understanding of eyesight was that our eyes shoot out light and that light sort of interacts with the, the lights of the objects that we're looking at and it shines back into our eyes and it flows through our eyes into our whole body and that's how we see. That was the understanding back then. Which, it's not completely wrong, but optometry has come a long, long way since then, which is lucky for me or you'd all have blurry faces right now. So with that in mind, Jesus is saying in verse 33 uh, that he himself is the lamp that shines bright. He is that lamp. And in verse 34 to 36, we need to have eyes that recognize Jesus. And we need to keep our eyes fixed on him. The quality of our spiritual eyesight is how we recognize Jesus and stay focused on Jesus. I lived in a, a share house a few years ago, and for some reason that the architect will only ever know, my light switch was on the outside of my room in my bedroom, so I'd have to go outside to turn my bedroom light on. Uh, there was one time where one of my housemates had a, a friend over, and uh, it was late at night, the friend was there, I was in bed asleep, and the friends walked past, and thinking that my light switch was the hallway light switch, he's just turned it on, and then, oh, whoops, sorry, turned it off. And of course, there I am, lying in bed, pitch black, next minute, light shining in my eyes. Now, it's not as if there was any doubt in my mind whether that light was on. Like, I didn't just wake up and think, oh, it's slightly brighter in here, is the light on? Yeah, I think the light's on. No, the split second that that light went on, it was as if the light pierced my eyes and flowed through my whole body. Every nerve in my body was aware that that light was on. What Jesus is saying here is that I'm a light that you can't ignore. But does Jesus actually shine bright? Does the Bible and history present a a compelling case for who Jesus is? Can we be confident in him? That's really the big question, because if Jesus doesn't shine bright, then what he says in these verses really has no basis. And faith in him is blind faith. Can we be confident in Jesus? I think we can be. The, the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life that we see, um, Luke's gospel being one of those, the evidence for these books being written when they claim to be and documenting real events is as good as for any other historical books in that era. And even going beyond the, the vast historical evidence for Jesus, Jesus really does stand out as we read about him in the Gospels. He shows a deep understanding of the human heart in his teaching. He shows us our sin And what he shows us about our sin, it's actually, it's what we already know about ourselves from our own experience. Jesus just shows us what it means. Jesus' life, his miracles, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, shows us God's love and power at work. Jesus brings us face to face with a God who loves us 
and calls us to know him. His teachings aren't just simple moral lessons to help us to become better people and to to live more fulfilling lives. His teachings are a confronting call to a, a costly discipleship. But it's a discipleship that has an awesome reward. Looking beyond the Gospels, uh, we see how the the entire Bible fits together to to point us to God's plan of salvation through Jesus. Now, the Bible was written over probably a a 2,000-year period, about 40 different authors, different countries, different languages, different genres. There's no way that it should fit together to make any sort of coherent point at all. And yet, it fits together perfectly in pointing us to Jesus. The early church grew from just a handful of people to a worldwide movement because the people who had seen Jesus' death and resurrection were determined to carry on his mission to the world, no matter what the cost. And today, we see lives dramatically changed when people encounter Jesus. His message of salvation is always going to be relevant because there are people, sinners, who need to be saved. So can we be confident in Jesus? Absolutely. Our spiritual health is all about recognizing who Jesus is and keeping our eyes fixed on him. And that's really what the life of discipleship is. We've been thinking through the last few weeks about what it means to be the disciple of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus means keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Jesus' death and his resurrection being the lens that we look at the world through. And as we live our lives for Jesus, both as individuals and as a church together, we shine Jesus' light to the world. So there's compelling evidence of who Jesus, that Jesus is who he claims to be. And if our sin has placed us in the firing line of God's judgment, and Jesus died to spare us that judgment, and it's faith in Jesus that makes us right with God, we need to recognize him and respond to him. So is Jesus illuminating you? Is Jesus a bright light lighting up your path? Maybe he's more of a a dull flicker of light. Or maybe he's nothing at all. If you can't relate at all to, to how this passage presents Jesus, have you given him a chance? Have you taken the time to sit down, maybe with someone, somebody that you know, to read through one of the Gospels of Jesus' life, uh, to see if, who Jesus really is? Now, it's important to realize that we don't recognize who Jesus is on our own. It's God's Holy Spirit who opens up our eyes to recognize Jesus. But so often that will happen as we sit down, as we read God's word and explore for ourselves who Jesus is. If you're still thinking through who Jesus is, then I'd really encourage you to keep coming along as we look through Luke's gospel and as we continue to to see more and more about who Jesus is. And come along to our Easter services as well, because Easter is really where the rubber hits the road with Christianity. If Jesus died for our sins and he was raised back to life, it really does make all the difference. And you're also welcome to come along to the life series that Cameron talked about 
that we're running in April as well. For those of us here who already are followers of Jesus, it's not uncommon to, to have those periods in life where, if you like, our, our eyes adjust to the light, when Jesus doesn't seem as bright as he does at other times. He just doesn't quite seem to shine as bright for whatever reason. And if that's ever where you're at, then I'd really encourage you to take the time to read through one of the Gospels to remind yourself of the message that Jesus brings and the ways that Jesus speaks powerfully into our hearts and our lives. To remind yourself why we can have confidence in him and why he really does make all the difference. One day, someone will ask you why you believe what you do about Jesus. And wouldn't it be great to have the answer all ready to go? If you're certain of why you have confidence in Jesus, that's going to overflow into the conversations that you have. And that's going to shine Jesus' light to the rest of the world. And it's also, it's going to help you as well during the difficult times in life, the times when Jesus doesn't necessarily shine as bright because of circumstances or whatever else. It's going to be a great help to you then as well. The Bible points us to Jesus as being our sign and our light. Uh, It warns us of the disastrous consequences of rejecting Jesus. It shows us God's wisdom in providing a rescue plan. And it shows us how we can look to Jesus to make sense of ourselves and to make sense of the world that we live in. Jesus came to show us our need, to show us the way to God, to show us how to get there, to make the way possible for us to get there and to guide us on that journey. We need to recognize Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on him. We need to live in response to him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is a sign and a light for us. Uh, We thank you for the ways in which he's revealed himself. We um, thank you for your word, for your spirit. Uh, We ask that for each of us here that you'd be helping us to have a greater and greater awareness of Jesus in our lives, uh, that our confidence in him will be growing each day and that you'd be helping us to shine your light to the world around us as well. Amen.